migraine affects half a million people in Ireland. Sumatran Relief 50 milligram tablets containing sumatriptan is now available over the counter from your pharmacist if you've been previously diagnosed with migraine. Unlike painkillers, sumatriptan acts by having an effect on a specific receptor in the brain, relieving the intensity of migraine. Ask your pharmacist about Sumatran Relief. Always read the leaflet. The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at the School of Immunology in Trinity College, Dublin. How are you? Not too bad, Jonathan. How's it going? I'm good. We, we want to talk about what to expect in year three of the COVID pandemic, which is a rather daunting headline. But I, I have an Immunology 101 question that I've wanted to ask you, but I haven't actually spoken to you in a few weeks. Right. The way that my understanding of the immune system, which is much more limited than yours, uh, we, we don't go walking around with armies of antibodies strolling around our system waiting for infection to strike us. Normally, we have to encounter an infection for our memory cells to trigger the type of antibodies that should be generated. Why then are we getting so surprised that we've seen a fall off in the amount of antibodies in people's systems after they get the vaccine? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Yeah, exactly. There's the memory B cells that count really, you know. But you will see antibodies persist, say, for two or three months and then they begin to wane anyway, you know. If they wane more quickly, you're slightly concerned, say. But the big metric, of course, to use here is, is risk of disease and risk of hospitalisation going up with time, you know. So measuring the antibodies overall through months and months isn't the useful it must be said you can actually measure the memory B cells by the way you can take they live in your bone marrow which people don't realise you can take a sample and that, that's a bit obviously tricky you mean that routinely but you can see the memory B cells are there for a persistent period of time but they, they must be waning as well gentlemen is the problem you know so over time those mem- that memory begins to go off too you see and then you lose those memory B cells is the issue there so we were getting very um, upset at waning antibodies in our system, but realistically, we should be more concerned about what's happening with those those B cells and, and the, yeah. mem- the, the memory in those cells that will prevent people from being hospitalised. Yeah, well, the, well the, the, the thing to measure is the rate of hospitalisation and severe disease. Clearly, that's the big thing to look out for. And if that goes up, that means it with someone who's vaccinated, that means the vaccine is waning and those memory responses must be petering out, you know, at least decreasing, you know. And then we know, by the way, the third shot really brings out these memory B cells and T cells and makes them even stronger, you know. And there's the other cell type, the T cell. They're very important. They instruct the B cell to make the antibodies and they're seeing loads of those with the booster, you see. And they go then and hide away in your body as memory cells and they will persist for months and months. That's why the Israelis are predicting now that that booster shot will give 10 to 12 months protection, you see. Because that memory will persist for that 10 or 12 months and then might begin to go, you see. So every winter then, the vulnerable, not everybody by any means, will be given a booster, just like the flu really is the prediction. Okay, so in other words, the boosters are working, they're being rolled out here. So what impact are they going to have on this third year of the pandemic? I suppose it's going to be divided into countries that are doing grand with the first rollout and then given boosters and countries that are still only getting around to rolling out the vaccine 
first of all. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's a startling fact that we're entering year three, isn't it? I mean, who, who'd have thought like two years ago we'd be in this situation? But the truth is now year three is about to begin. Uh, the first case is now early December 2019. Uh, they, there's a woman, they think, actually was in, this, in the infamous seafood market. That's, that seems to be what's called the index case. That's based on hospital records, early December. So now we're, we're coming up to the second anniversary. And now everybody's saying, all oh, the immunologists and virologists, what will happen now in year three? Can we begin to predict it? And the good news is, Jonathan, we can in a sense, because we've so much information about this virus now. We know a lot about the disease. You can begin to predict what, what might happen. The boosters will be there. Uh, they'll be widespread. Um, it will be a three-shot vaccine. That's that's the uh, the prediction for definite, given that what we know now. And that third shot will give over a year's protection is the hope, you see. So that's the first thing. But you're quite right, though. that the, the debate will move now to developing countries more and more. Remember, we've, we've always had that, of course, even, even through the last few months. And can we get the vaccine into those countries is really important, as we've said several times. Uh, and this inequity is, is the question. There was one projection the, the Gates Foundation is saying that developed countries will get back to almost normality in 2022. Uh, incomes will be 90% of what they were. In developing countries, the incomes will only go to a third of what they were because of the economic problems you see. So now the focus will shift more and more into, into making sure vaccine supply is not an issue for developing countries. Um, the vaccine hesitancy issue is is being lessened somewhat by the current wave. I was speaking to a, a pharmacist yesterday who tells me that there's a lot of people coming through his door now who didn't get vaccinated the first time around, but because of the prevalence of the illness and the messaging coming out, and I suppose the reality that the entire population didn't drop dead when they got the vaccine, that now is the time for them to get it. Uh, that's happening here where there was already a high level of compliance. It needs to happen in other countries as well. It though, does. It? Yeah, and in America, for example, there's still a high level of hesitancy going on. And But you're right, it, it, we're now in this surge. People are seeing it. They're still, you know, obviously, if you're unvaccinated, you know there's a risk of you ending up in hospital and occupying an ICU bed. And then you can prevent that by taking the vaccine. That seems to be registering with some of the people who are hesitant, for example. So, And of course, um, in some countries, the debate about the year three, by the way, is should we force vaccines on people if this hesitancy persists? That's a very tricky thing. And, and Mike Ryan, as you may have seen yesterday, said, don't do that. That's the last resort here, you know. Still just, it's all about cajoling and trying to convince people to take up the vaccine. And as you say, it is beginning to work. I mean, there's very encouraging signs in Europe anyway that, that the level of vaccination is still happening in the unvaccinated are turning up more and more and let's hope that continues. Uh, there are various accounts on social media that I've blocked um, because they, they panic at the first sign of anything new and there, there's one guy in particular and if I see him coming up my timeline I, I just ignore him because he seems to panic over everything and there are new variants being reported I think there's one in Africa in yeah. Botswana and South Africa that they're concerned about but like everything else we're concerned about everything until we have something to worry about so are we developing new vaccines that will anticipate or potentially you know deal with the type of mutation or change yep. that we think COVID might have next. We are. There's a huge amount of new vaccines coming down the, the track, Jonathan. I mean, they're talking about a massive glut of vaccines in the middle of 2022 in terms of supply with the regular vaccine that we have. So they're, they're using this word glut. And then in the meantime, they're making new ones, you know. And there's one by a company called Valneva that we've spoken about before. That could be a pan-coronavirus vaccine that will treat any variant, which would be tremendous. They're making what are called multivalent uh, v- vaccines, which have combinations of 
coronavirus is in. They're going to add the flu vaccine into the coronavirus vaccine, which again is a useful thing. And then people often ask me this about um, newer technologies. They're making vaccines that can be done with a patch instead of an injection. They're making vaccines that can be inhaled instead of an injection. That, that, can, that can be very beneficial to people. The inhaled ones may stop the virus in your nose as well as in your lungs and that'll stop transmission. So in other words, they're, we're getting to vaccine two point whatever. You know, the, these newer vaccines will be even better than the ones we've had. A really important one is they're, they're able to freeze dry the vaccine now and that sounds unusual. That means you can make it into a powder and you don't need to worry about these cold temperatures. Remember, remember, remember the panic when we had to, had to get these ultra cold freezers. That'll probably go away because you can now make them into a powder and then reconstitute them in a liquid. The state will be putting them on done deal in a few months. Well, they will, that's what it looks like. We're talking about uh, I, I, the latest estimate I heard. I was talking to someone yesterday in, in the vaccine business. 30 billion doses will be made in the next year, you know? And that's an amazing number of vaccines. The question then becomes getting it into developing countries. This is called the last mile problem, by the way. Many medicines can't make it into the places you want because it's just remote, you know? That last mile issue will be prevalent now as well in, in developing countries. But in other words, this is all in hand is the way to think of it. People are examining these things. Nope. Yeah, we know that, uh, that that new Pfizer drug is going to be made here in Cork, which is obviously something the Cork people will be gloating about for some time to come. But the Merck new antiviral that's coming out as well. Isn't there a risk with antivirals, though, Luke, that, that they allow the virus to, to twig onto what they're doing and force a change yeah. in, in how they operate? I mean, widespread antiviral use... Is, is not something we should be rushing towards, is it? it well, that's a good question. The antibiotics do this, as you know, Jonathan. You, know, you get antibiotic resistance because you use too many antibiotics and then the bacteria then dodges the bullet and becomes resistant. To the antibiotic. This can happen with antivirals because, again, the virus can mutate, obviously, and get around the antiviral. But they know what to do here and that's to combine them. If you use two punches against the virus, it can't dodge both punches, if you like, you know. It can dodge one punch and change. So they're talking about combining Merck with Pfizer in the one tablet. There's a big debate happening around that. Now, on the other hand, uh, there's also um, a view that these are so powerful, the virus won't be able to dodge it. Because we don't know. But this is, this is something that people are hopeful about. So you may not need to combine them. But I know that Merck and Pfizer are more than likely now in deep discussions about this, that they should combine the two into the one. We do that with HIV and AIDS. Uh, we use a combination hepatitis C for this reason to avoid okay. resistance and that hasn't happened with those viruses so there are ways around this resistance thing but it is, it is, a, it is a thing that will be looked at very closely Some of the texts that have come in I'm 64 says the texter I had COVID last month with some symptoms do I need the booster before February? Yeah, they well, that's a good question. People are asking that if you've, if you've had the two shots and then you've been infected, is that like a booster? And it is kind of because a natural infection would bring out the immune system, you know. Um, but the advice is to take the booster because we don't know how strong your immune response has been to the natural infection because you get variation then between people, you know. So the, the advice is go and get the booster when you're offered it for that reason, you know. Nigel's in Wicklow. Good morning, Nigel. He read yesterday, Africa is being less badly hit by COVID than expected. Do you have any comment on that, Luke? Is that yeah. because the, the, the indoors-outdoors thing is, is, is much more of an issue in Africa? That's This is true. And it's, they thought it wasn't, they weren't testing enough, maybe it was one possibility. But in certain parts of Africa, they are testing a lot. And indeed, they're, they're faring better than we thought. There's two main reasons, they think. One is a younger population. So remember, this is the disease of older people. So if you've got a younger population, you'll see less illness and less hospitalisation and so 
so on, you know. And then secondly, absolutely, it's outdoors. And as we know now in spades, being outdoors, 19-fold decreased risk. It's a massive decrease. So so those are two of the reasons. The third reason might be there's more parasitic diseases in Africa and that might give some kind of cross-protection because your immune system is a little bit active, you know. And that's that's a third possible reason. But it's true, yeah, we're relieved by that in a way because there was a fear it would run through Africa and cause huge problems. But it's not quite as bad as, 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 uh, as we feared initially. When we look across the water to the UK, who have done some things terribly wrong, um, um, you, you see that the cases have stabilised. There's a lot of it still spreading. People are still getting COVID. There's a lot of immunity in the system, but there's also a lot of people now who've had the disease or have had the disease and the vaccine. And is that an indication that perhaps we have now reached the point where COVID-19 has become endemic yep. in the UK? And not by design, but by the fact that they handled it so badly to date, that's how realistically the world is going to get out of this. Yeah, yeah there's lots of talk of the UK getting it right. We, we hate to hear that, John, don't we? But um, in this last phase, it looks as if they opened earlier in, in, in the summer, you know, and that, that's a good time to open because you're not indoors and it won't spread as much and you spread the thing out a bit, you know, and that might be the right thing to have done. And the level of infection there means that there's a lot of, there's a lot of immunity building up anyway. And infection will help you if you're vaccinated, as you were saying, it's quite variable, but still it's a good thing, you know. So yes, they may be moving towards the dreaded herd immunity phrase, a lot of analysis happening on that, and then eventually what's called becomes endemic. Now this will become endemic in 2022 is the prediction in, in developed countries it looks like. And what endemic means, it's it's burning away at a low level among us, you know, it never go, it goes fully away, but it's manageable. It, it, it reaches what's called a baseline, and that and that's what the future will be anyway, for everybody really, you know. The question is when will we reach endemicity, as it's called, and there's optimism that will happen in, towards the mid to, to late 2022 in developed countries and the UK may get there first you see as the idea as you say you know now we still don't know it could, there could yeah. be a spike in the UK we, the, these are still it's, as we've always said this is still a work in progress we're still studying it you know but we'll see but at the moment the UK looks to be doing doing reasonably well is the way to put it but again we have to wait and see uh, we just have to talk before you go about Science Foundation Ireland's Creating Our Future initiative, which you are involved in. Tell us about it. We do indeed. Yes, this is this is a great thing. I'm an ambassador. It's a great word. I bet you never knew you were talking uh, to an how, ambassador. How, how did they let that I happen? I don't know. Is the question. Where's my <laughs> Ferrero Rocher chocolates? I asked them when they asked me to be an ambassador. But I'm very happy to be an ambassador. It's called Creating Our Future. It's a big campaign. They're asking the entire Irish population, send us your best ideas as to what Ireland should do in terms of research, right? And this can be science. It can be the arts, it can be sociology, anything at all, send in your ideas. It's, it's called Creating Our Future at Science Foundation Ireland. They've had 11,000 ideas, Jonathan, already. And they're looking at them. They're going through them now. And there'll be a report to government to say this is what the Irish nation would like to see in terms of future research. And it's everything you've ever thought of. I've, I've seen some of it, you know. The Kitty Beggs fishermen sent in some great ideas, for instance, you know. Uh, women's health has come up a lot. Ecotourism, you know. Anyway, the, the, the goal is to ask the nation what research shall we be doing as a country and, okay. and uh, it's a great initiative really. And there's fantastic ideas out there. Creatingourfuture.ie is the website if you want to uh, get in touch with Ambassador O'Neill uh, on his That's latest right. mission. Uh, can I point, look we've gotten through the entire conversation you haven't mentioned the book once, are you alright? Well I'm being, you see I'm, I'm being very modest there. <laughs> Have you bought a copy yet? I should have given you one. Of course. <laughs> you uh, well, I was wa- I went for the free one. It didn't come through, you so mentioned. you know I had. To. You are. It's my diary. It's my diary from from January 2020. Yeah, it's, it's called uh, all keep, I will keep all calm I was and trust the science. The, the solicitors will be in touch with you, yeah, uh, Professor Luke O'Neill of Trinity College Dublin. <laughs> Pleasure as always. Thank you very much for joining us. 